Alright folks, welcome back to episode 2. Uh, we actually went ahead and got a little bit of our act together. So we do have a rather informal name for the podcast here. The Good, the Bad, and the Roto. We've got a website up. You can find episode 1. We are open to any and all suggestions. To, uh, you know, good or bad for this podcast. But, as always, I'm your co-host David Weirs. And joining me, unfortunately as always, is Michael Long. Mike, uh, how are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Very nice, very nice. He's calling in from snowy DC, as I understand it. Yep, I just found out about five minutes ago that I don't have to go to work on Tuesday either, so that's pretty fun. Wow, that's grand, because I have to be at work at 8 a.m. tomorrow, so... so well, we'll thank just... you, taxpayers. <laughs> you know that office is going to call you like immediately after this post, assuming someone actually <laughs> listens to it. So actually, yeah. you know what? On second thought, you're safe. You're, you're totally safe. Um, after kind of focusing on the arms in our debut episode last week, today we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of the hitters. Uh, now, to kind of revisit things, this is more of a podcast geared towards non-traditional 555 leagues, particularly the home league that Mike's a commissioner of, and I've been one of the, can I say charter members, or is that too grandiose? How, how would you phrase it? Hey, you can be a charter member. Charter member? Okay. I was going to say founding member, but that didn't quite feel right either, so I'll, we'll roll with charter. But I think we still have nine original members nine years later, so that's pretty impressive. That's a very low churn rate, honestly. That's that's incredible. Uh, we are not the Oakland A's of podcasts, or of uh, fantasy leagues, that is to be sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are going to be focusing on a lot of the hitters this week, um, and let me emphasize a lot of hitters. Uh, so, again, our custom league here, it's a 6x6 six six format. The extra category for pitchers is holds, and we talked a lot about that last week, so feel free to give that a quick spin if you haven't caught up yet. But this week, we're going to look at uh, hitters. Now, our extra category in the hitting side of things is total bases, but instead of batting average, we have a little wrinkle that it's uh, on base percentage. And I want to say that was probably either Mike's idea or an idea he came to the rest of us after we all read Moneyball, I would imagine. Uh, do you remember really the roots of why we chose you know, OBP instead of average, other than the fact that average is awful? Yeah, I think that throughout, throughout my design of this league, I wanted something that simulated what actual baseball values. So the reason we have holds, like we said last episode, is because I think that middle relievers should be there. The reason why I chose on base percentage instead of batting average is because I think walks are extremely important in baseball and they're just left out in standard fantasy. Um, And the reason why I have total bases is because I think power is also important. And in fantasy, that only manifests itself in home runs. But I think it's the other kinds of power, um, your doubles and your triples are important as well. So I sort of tried to encompass all of the things. But with OBP, it was really just to, to help the walk guys get a little extra value because they have a little extra value in real life now to kind of add on that again this is this league is entering its ninth season is that correct entering season nine yes okay so we didn't have you know a ton of options like weighted runs created plus as far as you know encapsulating the full value uh linear weights weren't really a thing you know in 2006 um they were kind of becoming a thing back then but they didn't really catch on in the way that we all know and love this way. And I've lobbied to kind of change the league up, but I'm content as it is. And we have a couple of owners who are uh, 
intragnes into when it comes to the league itself and the settings of said league. So is that a real word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hesitant to change. Look it up. I'm. I used to be a writer. Remember, there was there was once upon a time that I could claim that. Now I'm kind of a pseudo writer, but you're, you're sidetracking me. Uh, Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at some hitters who are kind of through the lens of the OBP are both high and both low. That's to say some will be overrated by our league settings. Some will be vastly underrated. Um, Long actually, well, excuse me, Mike actually went ahead and built a spreadsheet that encapsulates kind of a little bit of that. Um, Long, let me, uh, let me throw it to you now because you're the one who really was all about this. Sure. So uh, I think in the next couple of months, we're really going to have a focus on trying to project players that are going to be significantly more value in OBP leagues than they are in batting average leagues. And I think the (laughs) first step in doing that is to take a look at what happened last year and to figure out who the players were at the end of the season last year who were so much better in OBP leagues than they were in batting average leagues. So what I did is I went to Baseball Monster and I created custom ranks for a six for a six category uh, offensive league, and I included uh, the four categories that overlap in batting average in OBP leagues, which are home runs, RBIs, runs, and and stolen bases. And then I also included batting average and OBP. And I created ranks for um, 360 hitters. So 12 teams, 20 hitters apiece. It's big, but I wanted to encapsulate a lot of players so that we could really talk about... um, kind of everybody along the value spectrum of what happens here. And then I downloaded that to Excel and I created a, a five, a five category rank based off of the four that overlapped and batting average. And then the four that overlapped and on base percentage. And then I just did a simple subtraction of those Z value summations that I got from baseball monster to find who the player was that gained the most value in OBP leagues, and then the player who lost the most value in OBP leagues. And I will say that this whole spreadsheet um, is uploaded onto the podcast website, and I would encourage you that as you listen to this to open that up and take a look at it and um, and follow it down. There's two tabs. One of them is overall, which is all of those players listed from top to bottom, all the way from Jock Peterson, who's our number one uh, value gainer in OBP, all the way down to... D. Gordon, um, which intuitively makes sense if you think about it, but to me was kind of surprising because he was really good last year, but he loses the most value by this calculation. Um, so it goes all the way from, from Jock Peterson down to D. Gordon. And then the second tab is sorted by the same difference value difference. It's just done by position. So you can see all the catchers in a clump, all the first baseman in a clump, all the second baseman in a clump, and so forth. And so... Um, What Weirs and I are going to do tonight is we're going to talk a little bit about the overall ranks to begin with and and try and pick up on some themes that we noticed when looking at all of this data set. And then we're going to go position by position and we're going to talk about 
two or three players for two or three players per position, some on the good side and some on the bad side of who you might want to target in your leagues uh, for this year, or at least that these were guys who last year that had those value differences. I don't want to get too much into projecting players for this year because these are, we're purely using last year's stats and there's a lot more that, that goes into evaluating someone's value besides just um, what happened last year. So yeah. we're going to try and stay away from projections, but um, we're going to talk about some players about what they did last year, what we think they're going to do this year and how that affects their value. Go ahead. Weir. Uh, I will echo that. It's, Definitely important that we make the distinction that, yes, these are all based off of the 2015 season numbers, so it's going to be all the end of season, and it's not necessarily representative of what he or I will think a certain player will do this year. Uh, maybe when Zips comes out for all 30 teams, maybe I can bug Dan enough while we're playing TF2 to come onto our podcast and give us at least a modicum of of uh, credibility, but <laughs> we'll see. I, ha I had him on a different one before, so you might not want to be a, a guest with me again, but Dan's a great guy. He is, in fact, the creator of Zips. Uh, I'm actually pretty sure he does it in an Excel spreadsheet, too, or, or ex excuse me, he started off doing it as just like a straight Monte Carlo sim in Excel, which I think is such a gloriously nerdy thing that I have no more words on that. I think, I think that's fantastic. As far as I know, it's what he still uses. He has a couple of plugins that help him with, um, with kind of the big data files that he has now, but he still runs it on Excel. I have, there, there's so many other better ways that he could, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to preach to Dan about coding. Like uh, yeah. I, will, I will not make that mistake. Yeah. And, is... and I will also say that once, once Dan releases the spreadsheet, the zip spreadsheet, full spreadsheet this year, that I will do this exact same exercise with the zips projected values. And we'll put, we'll talk about that. That'll be, again, that'll be an episode probably sometime in, in February, maybe when you're getting ready for your drafts. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll do this exact same exercise with 2016 projections, and then we will get a little more into the prediction side of it. Instead of now just kind of getting acclimated with what kinds of players uh, pick up value in OBP leagues and what kinds of players lose value in OBP leagues. Mm -hmm. That sounds like we already have, you know, a couple of great episodes kind of on the back burner in the queue, however you like to say it. So stay tuned for that one, folks. Uh, now, before we dive into the kind of individual players, as Long alluded to earlier, he definitely did mention that there were certain trends. Now, he did already tell us, of course, that, you know, the number one player who lost the most amount of value was D. Gordon. And again, I agree with him it's intuitively. Yeah, you know, a speedy guy, okay, doesn't draw too many walks, but he puts the ball in play a ton, of course. He's going to lose some value. But in the opening email that uh, Mike sent to me, there were a few other kind of similar type players. Uh, Mike, do you want to give us a quick rundown on some of the guys at least you picked up on right off the bat? Yeah, so the, the biggest trend that I noticed is that the top of the list is littered with corner infielders and power hitting outfielders. Um, a lot of them, the, the guys that are going to go in the first round, um, Bautista and Vado and Rizzo and Harper and Goldschmidt and um, Bryant and Trout and Edwin Encarnacion, Matt Carpenter, all those guys um, are in the top 25 of this list. And so you think about what kind of player that is. 
Um, and then on the bottom side, it's a bunch of slap hitting outfielders and middle infielders. And what that does to me is I think it really changes the value of stolen bases in an OBP league because all of the steals are clumped at the bottom and they're guys who, um, who because they're sort of light slap hitters, your D Gordon's, um, so the bottom four is Ben Revere, Jose Altuve, Xander Bogarts, who I don't think really fits in this, uh, but it's just because his batting average was so high last year, and D Gordon. So I think Revere, Altuve, and Gordon, that's a type of player, and that's a type of player that we can look at who loses a lot of value in OBP leagues, and I think that paying what Altuve and Gordon are going to cost is that's, I think, what we should take away from this is that that type of player um, may not be worth it. And it makes it kind of a difficult task to figure out how to get your steals a little bit later and a little bit cheaper so that you're not sacrificing that huge value in, in OVP trying to chase your steals. Even adding that to that, um, Billy Burns is right near the bottom of the list. Uh, another, I noticed him too. Yeah. Another very speedy guy, but definitely a slap hitter. Uh, he'll run into a home run or two, but so will everybody else in the big leagues. But really, Burns is someone who absolutely kind of fits that quote-unquote profile. And it, uh, Juan Lagares, it's just kind of the top, or excuse me, the bottom 25 to 30 or so are just littered with a very, very similar type player. Um, now, Kind of on the other side of that, I noticed a slightly different trend. I noticed also in the outfield, but it's guys who are more the lumbering sluggers who don't draw walks. So guys who might crack, you know, 20, 25 home runs, but kind of just sell out for power. Um, Marlon Bird is an example of someone who was almost certainly owned in, I have to imagine, most leagues last year, but... He just doesn't really draw that many walks. He had 29 walks all of last season, and in an OBP league, that is just that's gonna crush you. It it's something that that just really really hurts. Uh, additionally, someone who probably won't surprise any listeners here is gonna be that Trumbo doesn't grade too well when it comes to on base percentage leagues. Again, didn't draw a ton of walks. He drew 36 on the year. It's just one of those things that it's not really a part of his game. Sure, you're going to get maybe as many home runs as walks with some of these guys, but I guess the real question is, is it going to be worth it if you play in a league that's not total bases the way ours is? So I would say that in addition to the kind of the middle infielder or, you know, you know speedy type guys, there's also going to be the big lumbering guys who just kind of lick their lips and swing from their heels at any juicy type looking pitch. Um, even guys in who are, you know, supposed to be quote unquote better hitters. Hanley Ramirez is an example who just, his walk rate kind of fell off a cliff left last year. And that's not to say he can't rebound and come back, but it's just one of those things that you have to be aware of heading into your upcoming drafts. Now, in addition to, you know, kind of the overarching philosophies or styles or player profiles, comps, whatever you'd like to call. There is kind of littered throughout that a number of individual players who did stand out who, you know, may or may not fit those, you know, previously touched on molds. Um, We're going to go ahead and kind of break things down by position a little bit here. So 
Uh, again, this spreadsheet is kind of Long's baby, so we'll have him talk about the first position here. So who's going to be uh, the first guy that we discuss? Yeah, let's go ahead and start with the catchers. And I'll start on the good side. So I'm going to start with a catcher who really picked up some value in an OBP league last year as opposed to a batting average league. And that player is Yasmani Grandal. And Yasmani Grandal actually came in at 10th overall in terms of the value picked up from going from an, from an average league to an OBP league. And when you look at his numbers, it makes quite a bit of sense. Uh, his batting average was only 232, but his OBP was all the way up at 351, which uh, for catchers, I'm going to look real fast, but I imagine was probably in the top uh, in the top two or three for catchers. I imagine Posey would be in front of him, and I'm not sure who else. I don't know what McCann did last year off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, so far I haven't found anybody. Yeah. Yeah, Posey was. Yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> speaking yeah. of not surprising. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, literally, he, so he was second in OBP last year, and I think Grandall got off to a really hot start. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the first half he was he was really really good, uh, and then sort of faded down the stretch a little bit. And people are going to remember that, and that's going to affect draft boards. And I don't I don't remember what his um, NFBC ADP is right now, but. Um, yeah, so Yasmani Grandal, holy cow, um, was just brutal in the second half last year. Um, he hit he hit 280 in the first half and 160 in the second half. So that's a guy that's going to get tugged around draft boards. But even despite him losing his his batting average and losing his power in the second half, that uh, that OBP still stayed, and he still wound up at 350 with the second highest OBP. And so, if you're looking at sort of a back end catcher, um, if you're if, especially if you're in a two catcher league, I think that's a guy that that when catchers start going, that you pop because he picks up so much value. As, uh, as a reference, with his OBP. NFBC again does use the traditional five by five value, so they have him at you know ranked through batting average. But right now, Grandall is the twelfth catcher off the board, right around one eighty two, pick one eighty three, right in that neighborhood. So that is pretty late if you can grab yourself a catcher like that. That would be quite the pickup. Yeah, and I, I think I think in in an OVP league, he's more in like the six to eight kind of range. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, behind behind Posey uh you can make arguments for the other Mesereco and Lucroy and the other top options McCann um ahead of him but I think once you get past that that kind of top tier that top tier group um I think kind of a hot a hot sleeper this year maybe Travis Darno not even a sleeper but just kind of an exciting catcher this year because he had a pretty good season when he was healthy last year Darno and I think I would take uh, Grandall over him in an OBP league this year. I, ooh, uh, I guess if you could gar- could guarantee health on both sides, then I would take Darno. But I'm, I'm wait. I'm, you think health is an argument 
for Travis Darno with someone? No, no, no. What I'm saying is if I could guarantee that Darno would be healthy, then I'd oh, definitely okay. take him. But since that's obviously a massive question mark, I Yeah. Uh, it's it's close for me. It's close. Uh, I guess it depends if you know a single catcher, two catcher league, but I might have to table that discussion and do a little digging on that one. Uh, sure. Now, honestly, there were a couple other catchers that kind of caught my eye. You know, kind of perusing this. Um, one is going to be Miguel Montero over on the Cubs side. So for any listeners who thought I was just kind of ripping Arietta apart last week, and I'm not a Cubs hater, far from it, in fact, but uh, kind of like uh, not quite to the level that Grandall was, but again, Montero didn't even hit 240 last year, but he put up a 338 OBP, and that almost 100-point gap in you know relative – value, for lack of a better word, absolutely shot him near to the top. He was the 27th biggest gainer in going from a standard 5 by 5 with average over to an OPP league, and people just kind of might not be up on him. Similarly, a third catcher gained a lot of relative value up in Toronto, Russell Martin, who that actually did kind of surprise me. Uh, looking through his numbers, I didn't know that he only hit 235. Now, granted, his on-base percentage was a relatively uninspiring 330 last year, or 329, you know, however you want to round it. But again, it's basically a 100-point gap in between what they did with batting average and what they did with OBP. And then you factor in the rest of that Toronto lineup around him. I mean, you know, they've got some guy playing third base who I've never really heard of. But uh, other than that, a favorable home park. And Martin, he, he's, he's going to be a hot name to pick up in OBP leagues, I think. Definitely. I definitely agree. With both of those guys, those are great choices. Now, not to say that we look at everything through kind of rose-tinted glasses here, because uh, not everyone has the same uh, value increase as those three guys. There's definitely a couple of catchers who fell off, I wouldn't say the planet, well, (laughs) B.O.B. might say they fell off the side of the planet, but that's a discussion for another day as well. (laughs) Uh, But there were a couple of guys who really stood out to kind of Mike and I both right off the bat and uh go ahead take it from here Mike who's the first one that you think really just fell off for you so the first one when you look at the numbers is really in a class by himself uh is Salvador Perez so these this z-score z-score subtraction that we did um the catchers Nobody really gained or lost too much value compared to other positions. Most of them were in between one. Um, but the one outlier there is Salvador Perez lost sort of 1.25s. I don't, I don't know what the units for this, because subtracting Z-scores isn't super clean. But um, from a number standpoint, he's kind of in a class by himself. And the two people, the three, three people right above him, um, are AJ Brzezinski, who isn't really draftable anywhere, I don't think. JT Real Muto, who is, but I expect totally different numbers for him. And again, these aren't projections. But Salvador Perez is a guy that has done this for a couple of years. Um, this batting average and OBP breakdown for him is nothing new. And because of that, I'm pretty comfortable in, in using these numbers as a bit of a projection um, 
and and just coming out and saying it that I wouldn't go anywhere near Sal Perez in an OBP league. So in 2014, um, yeah, so 2015, last year for the raw numbers, he was 260 average, 280 OBP. 2014 was 260 average, 289 OBP. And in 2013, he was 292, 323 OBP. And in 2012, which was the first season that he was sort of a full-time catcher, was 301 average, 328 OBP. So, I mean, we know who this we know who this guy is, and this guy is not an asset in OBP leagues at all. Which really, again, this incorporates things like the 25 home runs that he popped and the 76 RBIs and so forth. So this encompasses everything. So I, it'd be fair to really call Perez a black hole as far as OBP leagues go, unless you're really hurting for power and a catcher. But other than that, that is a pretty glaring hole. And yeah, I just think the the bigger takeaway is that he's going to go in a clump. I mean, he's kind of in that in that maybe third tier of catchers. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to sort of the back end of a of a of a C one, if you're in a two catcher league, he's sort of entrenched in that in that middle section of people that don't want a one dollar catcher at the end. They're going to wind up with a guy like Salvador Perez. But looking at some of the other people that are in that in that tier, so just to just to put it out on the on the other complete end of the spectrum is um like we said montero's a good one um chris ionetta aj ellis uh there's some there's some sort of weird pretty bad catcher names that i think i would probably rather have over over sal perez in in an obp league in the same tier and Additionally, and this is kind of a side note to the other points, is that Perez is not only a bit of a black hole as far as you know his walk rate goes, but he's someone who's just going to be out there for like 140 games a year. So it's not like other catchers where they're going to rest him, you know, two once, maybe even twice a week. Uh, the past three years in a row, in 2015 he caught 139 regular season games, in 2014 he caught 146, in 2013 he caught 137. So it's just one of these guys that you know. Yost is really, really riding him, and you yeah. know Perez might be a fine receiver, and he's got an arm, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's nothing you know too outlandish, but it's just the fact that he's constantly out there almost betrays him as far as an OBP league goes. Guess how many catchers were within a hundred plate appearances of Sal Perez last year? He led the position in plate appearances, but guess how many guys were within a hundred of him? I would guess only Posey, but that's because they might be including his first base time. Yeah, it's it's raw totals. Okay. So yeah, it is it is Posey, but even including Posey's first base time, Sal Perez still had more at bats. The only other guy within a hundred is, is Derek Norris. Wow. Every single other catcher in baseball had had over a hundred plate appearances less than Salvador Perez did. So Weir's point that he's just gonna just absolutely ruin uh ruin your ratios because he gets so many more plate appearances than everybody else's is a hundred percent true. I didn't know the gap was that big. I just, I follow a lot of good, you know, Royals people on Twitter and uh, Jeff Zimmerman actually posted, you know, something along the lines of Perez caught like 158 games between the all-star game and postseason or something like that last year, 149 or some just obscene amount. And I was, I, I don't know how Perez still has knees. I, I genuinely don't. <laughs> But he wasn't the only kind of, I would call him an established type, you know, 
guy, uh, there was actually another catcher who the best fans in baseball might get a little heated over when uh, we did a little bit of digging. Uh, Mike, who's the other catcher that uh, kind of was exposed through our experiment here? The other catcher that jumped out at me was Yadier Molina, and this is another guy who uh, also gets a lot of plate appearances because he was banged up a little bit last year and still managed 492 plate appearances. So uh, Yadier Molina is a guy that's going to play a bunch, and he had a 266 average last year. So as far as catchers go, 266 pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. that's, that's pretty decent these days. Had a 305 OBP. That's not pretty good. That's uh, <laughs> that's gonna hurt you. You know, as far as you know, the value difference that is, we we should call them like unis or Betancourts or something something that really highlights the lost value here. I I don't know, maybe a Bloomquist, some just something along those lines. I think I I hmm. think we'll uh, leave that up to the callers, but something along those lines would be outstanding. I feel. But yeah, absolutely. Yachty, like Long said, it's another guy who's just kind of going to just weighed you down last year. Uh, and even going into this year, I think he's going to be entering his, what, age 34 season now? He just had thumb surgery like a month and a half ago, maybe even a little less. And I'm I'm not sure when he's going to be back. The latest reports that I saw is that Yachty would be back for spring training, but he'd be late. So, obviously, pitchers and catchers report before anyone, so don't expect Yadier Molina to be a part of that. And I'm just, I'm not sure how much he really has left in the tank. He's got so many innings behind the plate. Uh, A quick kind of glance at his defensive career. He's caught, he hasn't caught fewer than 100 games outside of one year, and his total innings are 12,200 or 12,026 and two thirds innings. So the guy's been a horse his whole career. It's what he's known for. It's what he kind of could hang his hat on. But now I don't know if the bat's slowing down or if it's just, you know, father time remaining, remaining undefeated as far as, you know, aging goes. But Molina is definitely someone that I would absolutely avoid, at least as far as OBP leagues go. Now, it's not just the guys who are kind of getting beat up behind the plate or taking the foul tips and trying to block runners, but it's also some, I wouldn't say cushy, but some less demanding defensive positions. Uh, Specifically, outside of, you know, the DH, the least demanding defensive position, there were a couple first basemen here who who did pop out kind of on either side. So who's kind of the first contestant from... uh, from the uh, first base side of things there, Mike. So I'll start again with a guy whose value really gets helped in OBP leagues. And last year, that player was Chris Carter. And this one is, he was was pretty bad kind of all around last year. Um but still managed to hit 25 home runs and had some there were some things that you could you could you could deal with but he hit 203 so in a batting average leagues you just cannot carry a guy that's hitting 203 it's impossible um that is that's such a such a drain that's Carlos Peña vintage do. what 2011 something like that absolutely yeah <laughs> 
On the flip side, though, his OVP was 311, which is still bad. Don't get me wrong. But you can handle 311 in an OVP league. You have to boost it other places. Maybe that's something you focus on in the middle infield or somewhere. Um, but but 311 is not going to kill you anywhere. And because of that, it gives you a chance to get some really, really cheap power and um, and be able to to just pay nothing to get. Honestly, I think 30 home runs probably because we're still talking about a we're still talking about a guy who is 29 this season, so still still pretty firmly in his in his prime. Um, that hasn't hit fewer than the 24 home runs he hit last year since 2012 was the last time he did that. And that was in a half a season. So this is a guy who's going to strike out a lot and he's not going to be a real boon in OBP, but he's not going to kill you. And his, his Yahoo or his ESPN or his CBS or wherever your host is, that default rank is going to be reflected by the fact that he's almost undraftable because of his average. Uh, right now, again, this is kind of the only – I wouldn't say the only one that I totally trust, but it's definitely the most trustworthy at this point is the NFBC average draft position that Stats has. And right now, Chris Carter, again, this is for 555, is going around around pick 380. So in a 12-teamer, that's well, – I mean that's outside the draft practice for all intents and purposes. That's – Yeah, he's he's free. It's, it's, it's not there. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, I, I like him in that new park. I think Milwaukee is going to serve him well. Uh, I'm not sure how well he'll do fielding. I don't think he's going to be cover your eyes bad that they have to, you know, take him off first base duty. But that would be the only sole caveat because obviously, you know, playing the NL, in the NL, they are silly and don't have the DH yet. They like living in the 70s apparently. But that's definitely gonna rustle some Jimmies, probably Mike's included. So I had better move on quickly. <laughs> nope, I'm the I'm the weird guy that wants eight man lineups. So <laughs> you you probably could have just stopped at I'm the weird guy, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Now on the flip side of things, again, just because you know balance is important in life, there was a first baseman who. I would call a star first baseman, really. It might be, you know, biased given the city that I live in, but I, I think you can make the a strong case that he's a star. There is a guy who really did fall off, and it honestly did surprise me because I, I just didn't expect this gap in his, you know, value from going from an average league again to our OBP settings, but that was Jose Abreu. Uh, Mike, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit what you found about Abreu when we did the digging? Yeah, so this was really surprising for me, too. Uh, just because I expected that when I look at his raw numbers for batting average and OBP last year, I didn't expect them to have that big of an impact on his value. They both look comfortably above average and, and pretty good. Um, but when you dig in a little deeper, they're not. So Jose Abreu's raw numbers last year is he, he batted 290 and he had a 347 OBP. But when you think about that in the context of first base, 290 from a first baseman is pretty good. Uh, there weren't there weren't too many first basemen that are up there in that in that 290 range, and the OBP number he didn't he doesn't have that elite walk rate that a lot of your uh, superstar first basemen have. So I think again this is all a tier thing that that if you're looking for a superstar at first base, 
you want somebody that you're going to be comfortable counting on for some massive production um, and get some great numbers out of. There are some other guys in that in that tier. Um, if you're in an auction, you know I probably pay I probably pay up for Goldschmidt. I pay the extra ten bucks or whatever it is to go from Abreu to Goldschmidt. And if you want to stick around in a similar tier, then um, guys like Votto and and Edwin Encarnacion I think are much better values because they are the guys with those just enormous walk rates. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them are are at uh, well Encarnacion is around ten percent. And Votto, of course, is in the stratosphere. Um, <laughs> it, was, but, it was, what, 19 or 20 or something last year, wasn't it? Which was exceptional even for him, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, to get, I mean, to get Abreu, you're going to have to pop him in the second. Um, and I think in OBP leagues, he's probably not a second-round player. And I say that, this, this sort of hurt my feelings because um, I have him in a keeper league where I basically am forced to keep him because I have him for really, really cheap because I had him as a prospect when he came from Cuba. Um, but he now looks like a guy that, that if I start getting into a bit of a keeper crunch in a couple of years when his value isn't quite as good as it is now, he'll be one of the first people I jettison just because his value does take a hit in OVP, in OVP, um, OVP leagues. Yeah, and again, I just, like I said, I have to emphasize just how surprised I was because I hear Abreu, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a masher, he's a star, pencil him for 30, 95 to 100 RBIs. Like, he's he's just going to get it done for you. But again, it comes down to that sub-6% walk rate that he posted last year, and that's just, it's just brutal on his overall value, like we said. But, hey, it's why we do the digging because sometimes you never know what you're going to find. And he's he's a really good example of not just looking at raw OBP totals because he's good. And if you just say like, okay, he's going to have a 350 OBP. I can live with that for my first baseman, but you're going to wind up paying if you draft him at his, at his five by five default Yahoo ESPN, CBS, whatever rank um, you're paying for a guy with a better OBP than that. And you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Don't pay for the perceived value folks. That's going to be the, uh, <laughs> the motto of the day here. Now, we we don't want to end on a down note for a position. So there was a player that I happened to kind of peruse and it did catch my eye. Uh, I'm actually, and this is kind of venturing away from, you know, what we've established as far as this is looking at the strictly 2015 numbers, but looking at a mix of, you know, past last season and going ahead into this year, Will Myers kind of stood out for me. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm high on him, but I feel like I'm more optimistic than most as of right now. Uh, Long, why don't you, we'll head back to spreadsheet, and what did, uh, what did it reveal about uh, young Will Myers here for us? So Will Myers is a guy um, that for, as far as the outfielders go, you know, he was kind of, he's in the, he's at the end of the top third, if I'm dividing outfielders that way. So he's got, he's got, more value or had more value last year in OBP leagues than he did in batting average leagues. Uh, and that's on the backs of his 253 batting average and Will Myers 336 on base percentage. And so you do get that's that's positive help in the on base percentage category and probably a slight negative in the batting average category. But I totally agree with Weirs here. I think that, um, that looking forward, this is a guy who uh, we sort of forgot about that he 
he was a main piece of a trade and everybody got real excited about it. He had that great season in Tampa. And then last year he had, what was it? A wrist injury. Yep. And I mean, we know what wrists do. Wrists are, wrists will sap everything you're trying to do. So I think there's a lot of bounce back for a young guy here. I like him a lot. And just to kind of continue that trend, even though he was injured and even though he's had some ups and downs and he's been traded a few times now, he had a 10.7% walk rate last year for his career, which is still, you know, less than a thousand plate appearances. So he's still just 25. He still owns a 9.5% walk rate. And that's the type of thing that can absolutely get it done for you in an OBP league. And again, it's going to be a big difference in an on-base percentage format versus regular 5.55, because like Long said, he, you know, 253 last year. He's a career 256 hitter. That is very, very, eh, eh, okay, whatever. Like, for example, going back to the NFBC, he's right now the 55th outfielder off the board going after pick 200, right around 212, 213. So there's a lot of area that you can use to exploit to your advantage there in an on-base format. Now, continuing around the diamond here, there's one that I, I, I don't know if it caught his eye just because he's a bit of a... I'm not going to say a homer, but maybe just a little bit as far as the second base position. Uh, Long, who do you want to discuss first at the Keystone? Yeah, the uh, the real problem with second base was not the fact that I'm a homer. It's the fact that there just aren't a lot of players that are helped out significantly in on-base percentage leagues mm-hmm. uh, at the position. The bottom of the second base list is littered with a bunch of guys that lose a ton of value but at the top uh it was pretty difficult to find someone who both had significantly more value last year and i thought was was sort of worth talking about but the guy that i want to talk about as a Braves fan is jace peterson and jace peterson is a guy who i don't think is going to get drafted anywhere um but he had a 314 on base percentage last year, which on the surface sounds pretty terrible, but go ahead and check out what the rest of second base did. And you'll see that it is, it's actually kind of in line with what everybody else had. So, um, and a few months before he really, really stumbled down the stretch. And before a few months before he was up sort of three, 340, three range, uh, before he really, really collapsed. So I think that Jace Peterson is a guy that if you're looking at second base and you need you need someone at the very end to fill a spot, you know maybe you're waiting for an injury, you got some kind of replacement, um, you neglected corner infield and and you're looking down and you're in an OVP league. I think he's a guy that you check out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like a one year blip type thing as far as his walk rate goes, because he was spectacular last year, even though he did kind of, you know, slow down a little bit, which is fair in your first full season at the big league level. But he tallied a 9.4% walk rate. That's nothing to scoff at. Even throughout the minors, he had a double digit rate at every single stop, sometimes as high as 14%. 15% right in that range. It's just something that he's got it done at every level. Now, that's not to say that walk rate consistently translates from the minors to the big leagues. I don't want to make that, you know, a correlation because as, you know, someone who owned one of 
three people in the world <laughs> who own a Derek Barton jersey. Uh, a lot of people can walk in the minors when the pitchers don't have command or great control, but they get to the big leagues and they face, you know, legitimate pitchers, and all of a sudden, whoops, I can't hit, and their walk rate is going to tumble just because pitchers realize, hey, he can't really hurt me, so we're going to throw him just anything near the zone and get the call. And Jace, Jace hit eighth a lot last year. Okay. And I think and I think will going forward because um as bad as the Braves lineup is, he's probably the worst. And he's and that and that helps his walk rate because he does get he does get a couple by virtue of being pitched around or just being full on intentionally walked to get to the pitcher. Mm-hmm. Again, one of those just kind of quirky little wrinkles of the senior circuit, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Now we'll we'll keep it going around the infield here, and we're gonna go ahead and throw go to the hot corner now. And this one, I actually want to talk about one more. It's it's kind of a nice segue from the second base to the third base because he might be eligible at both. I don't exactly remember, but I want to talk about one other guy that um, that I I want to make sure doesn't doesn't slip if you're in an OBP league, and that's Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. Um, had a, had a pretty bad season last year, uh, pretty banged up, uh, no real power or speed to speak of. Um, but this is a guy that hit hit 264 for batting average and still had a 344 on base percentage. And from your middle infield, that is outstanding. That's something that's really going to help you out. And um, I just want to make sure. I think he's going he's going back towards somewhere around 100, I think, in the NFBC. I'll, I'll get you the exact number here in a second. Um, but um, he's a guy that that I think definitely – okay, so, yeah, Rendon is going 70th overall um, in the NFBC stuff, and I think that's a touch low for him. This was a guy that last year um, – people were talking about as a, as a late first mm-hmm. and just to get hurt and to plummet all the way down. And he's had injury problems his whole career, but I think OVP leagues, this guy's, this guy's more in the four five range than the seven, eight range that he's going right now. Mm-hmm. And he's entering, you know, he'll be playing in the midst of his age 26 season. So right at the peak, he's shown power before. Obviously we've discussed his patience. There's not a whole lot more to love as far as, you know, looking for someone in OBP league. Uh, and yes, he is eligible at both second and third in uh, just about any league format. This year, unless you know you have a 70 play or 70 start threshold somewhere, but yeah, but using that as kind of the bridge over to the full true hot corner guys. And really, you know, this guy actually kind of played all over the field. He got time in outfield. I think he got a start or two or definitely shifted over to center field once. And that's going to be the uh, kind of rookie sensation, Mr. Chris Bryant of the Cubs. Uh, Long, where did he kind of fall throughout our spreadsheet here? Chris Bryant, I'm going to switch back to the overall section, which ought to give you a clue about where his where he was in this. Um, yeah, so Bryant was 22nd overall on our list. Uh, just ahead of Mike Trout, so <laughs> pretty pretty nice to be just ahead of Mike Trout, even if the, even if it's kind of a silly uh silly value thing, but yeah, Chris Bryant, uh, batting average two seventy, not gonna kill you, on base percentage of three sixty one last year, and that's really gonna help you out. Uh, those are big numbers. Obviously, everything else was a big number too. 
this is a guy that that like I'm not talking about a sleeper here. I'm talking about a guy that um, that's going to be in in sort of the first or second first or second round. Uh, but I want to compare him to another third baseman and give you an idea about how this this spreadsheet and this relative value between average and OBP can really affect your draft. And that's if you're choosing between Chris Bryant and um, and Nolan Arenado. I think that this it makes it a really easy decision for me at least because Arenado last year um, he's our lowest ranked third baseman and lowest ranked by quite a bit and it's because he hit 287 last year which again that's going to be a huge help to your batting average OBP only 323 so there's not a big walk rate there and again he's another guy that's in in Bryant's tier, kind of in that late first conversation these days from pick like eight to 15. Um, and I think that Bryant is, is way, way more valuable in OBP leagues than, um, than Chris Bryant. Yeah. So Arenado in NFBC is going eighth overall. Bryant's going 10th overall. Manny Machado sandwiched right in between them. Um, I probably flip that, that order. I keep Donaldson as my number one third baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take Bryant number two, Machado number three, and Arenado is is I think I think in a totally different tier from from Bryant and Machado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. One thing I will say that you'll definitely want to keep an eye on on Bryant is that, like you said, he hit two seventy eight, but or two seventy five last year. Excuse me. However, he did have a three seventy eight batting average on balls in play, and I see the bat speed, I see the exit velocities, I see the line drive rate, the hard hit contact rates, I see all that, but it's really hard for me to imagine someone who's 6'5 and 215 pounds posting a 378 batting average on balls in play for another season. I think he'll come back down to earth, even if he's like a 335, 340 type BABIP guy, then his average is going to suffer. But fortunately, in an OBP league, he had an 11.8% walk rate. So it's another guy who, even if the average does kind of come back down to earth, his walk rate should be right in line with what it's been this past year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, there was someone who's certainly not a rookie, but could kind of be a sensation. And that was, uh, well, geez, how old is Beltray now? He's got to be, what, mid-30s? At least. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it's he's old. I'm not sure what his age is. I just know that you don't touch his head. So, which <laughs> apparently, you know, given the video out there, he's very sensitive, even even if he's wearing a helmet. But Beltre kind of had some, I guess, interesting answers as well. Uh, maybe not good answers, but certainly interesting. And again, kind of like Jose Abreu, it really surprised me. Uh, what did uh, your spreadsheet spit out for Adrian Beltre there, Mike? Yeah, Beltre, uh, Beltre was another one that didn't fare very well. Um, he was sort of, he's our second lowest ranked third baseman by this. Um, so, so lost a ton of value in going from average leagues to OBP leagues. And, um, that's really on the fact that he hit 290 last year, but had a 337 OBP. And that's par for the course for Adrian Beltre. Um, so unlike Jose Abreu, who I think you'll look you'll look at Abreu and you'll say, okay, you know, I can take this OEP. I think Beltre is really going to hurt you 
if uh, if you're after his if if you're taking his OVP and he's not even ranked all that highly this year. Uh, there's a lot of people that are sort of jumping off the bandwagon. He's going 101 in NFBC. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's going. I'm looking at at some other guys um, around him, like pay just pay for Carpenter if you, if you want a third <laughs> baseman kind of in that area. Carpenter's 30 picks ahead of him, um, but just get Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Longoria is going 20 picks behind him. I think those guys are flipped in an OBP league. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of value um, in, of Adrian Beltre in, in OBP leagues. I've never felt that way. I've I've never owned him in our league. Weirs really? um, nine years nine years running uh, because I always look at him. He's always been been a first rounder, non keeper for us, and I've just I've never liked it. Just n- never really seen it. Uh, yeah, I guess. Throughout the duration of our league, he's averaged uh, a pretty good OVP, probably in the 350 range. But yeah, I guess it's just not a ton. Yeah, and his power's tumbled for, or his home run power, I should say, as far as raw numbers of dingers, has dropped four years in a row. So, well, last, it went from 19 to 18 in 2014, 2015, but he'll be playing his age 37 season in 2016. So, he's, uh, He's been around the block more than a couple of times, I would say. But we'll reverse course now and kind of head back to the uh, north side for someone who certainly has not been around the block, uh, unless you're counting the uh, lovely trade that my A's included him in. That's going to be young Addison Russell. And let me uh, emphasize the young part here, because he's kind of the anti-Beltre as far as that goes. Well, at least, you know, given age. Uh... Russell will be playing his age 22 season this year, and again, very much unlike Beltre. Uh, Mike, your spreadsheet kind of threw out a a pleasant surprise for the young shortstop. So what do we have for Russell there? Yeah, so Addison Russell uh, wound up being the fourth highest ranked uh, shortstop. I keep saying ranked. I don't really mean ranked. Um, Had the fourth best difference between average and OBP leagues. And the reason why I picked him instead of some of the other guys around him, um, a couple others that that it really liked uh, were Jose Ramirez and Ruben Tejada. Um, and, but I picked Russell because I like the steals potential there. I think that he's a guy that can run a little bit and get you get you some good steal numbers. And as we talked about in the beginning and sort of the overarching theory of all of this, that one of the issues that this that this brought to light for me is how difficult it is to get steals um, and also get good value out of OVP. And I think shortstop is one of the places where you can really do that, where you can find uh, basically because the whole position sucks so bad at OVP that um, you can take a steals guy and not really worry about trying to squeeze out every last drop of, of value from him. And he's young He's going to play every day in that in that really potent Chicago lineup. I think he's going to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I think that that Addison Russell is that he's he's got he fits a lot of pieces of what I'm looking for in uh, in the in this puzzle of trying to build trying to build a good team. 
I'm trying to find him on the NFBC. He's listed under second base instead of shortstop. Uh, okay, he... that that would explain that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I had that earlier. Uh, Russell's going right around pick 140 to 141 on average, which again through five by five. But for us, I think 140 is pretty low on Russell, especially there's just so much to like and really not a whole lot of downside. Uh, I don't love the strikeout rate that he posted. Uh, but I'm willing to accept that if he can continue, you know, an eight to nine, maybe 10%, even 12, 14% walk rate that he flashed in the upper minors. I don't count on that so much, but eight to 10% walk rate. Yeah. I'll take a, you know, a mid twenties to upper twenties strikeout rate, especially given he's got a little bit of power. He's not going to steal so much, but again, he's going to play just about every day in a really good offense. And like Mike said, there's just a lot of check marks that he kind of hits in my little clipboard of what to look for a young shortstop. So I'm absolutely on board with Mr. Young Addison Russell there. Yep. Now, there's he's not the only young shortstop that we're going to be discussing as well. Uh, and really, not even the only young shortstop in the Central, although this is the AL Central now, as opposed to the NL Central. But Francisco Lindor, who's kind of been discussed a lot i feel like this off season uh just he's been the source of oh i think he's gonna do this you're too high on him you're too low on him um what did your spreadsheet kind of unveil for lindor there over in cleveland yeah lindor um i think like you said has been a really hot sleeper pick had a had a really impressive second half of the season last year and is a guy that um, NFBC is going 64th overall on average uh, as the fifth shortstop off the board. And I think that a lot of that is on the back of of Lindor's uh, 313 average last year, which is excellent, and led to a 353 OBP, which is also excellent, but... If you think about those two numbers, that leads to a pretty poor walk rate. Mm-hmm. And I worry that when you're looking at these default ranks, again, um, Lindor, Lindor is a guy. And do you know what his batting average on balls in play was? Yes, uh, last Lindor, year he posted 348, so a little, a little elevated, especially given he doesn't have elite speed. Well, I don't think he has elite speed. I think it's good. Yeah, but. so I... I I think that turns him from a guy that um, that is, is a real asset in OBP to someone who's neutral to possibly a little below if that comes down again, if there's any kind of regression. And I think you're paying way too high of a price. And I would I would rather have the guy who is going right below him in NFBC, but a full 50 picks later uh, in Ian Desmond than Francisco Lindor. Well, and I say that even though, I mean, Desmond's OVP is brutal too, um, but his average is also brutal. <laughs> but this is a guy that, um, again, we're, what we're looking for here is we're looking for steals at this, at this short, or I'm looking for steals at this shortstop position because I think it's a place where you can find him without sacrificing a bunch of, of OVP league value. And Desmond's average is so terrible and has been so terrible for years that he's seen as a big drain on your ratios, and I think he turns into kind of a mild drain on your OBP instead of a major drain on your batting average. Okay. 
Now, I guess the other side of it is Desmond does have a little bit more power. I think a lot of people are buying into probably a little too much Lindor's 12 home runs that he hit. Um, we You kind of discussed this in the pre-show. Well, you, had, you and I both did. Uh, what was your exact phrasing? He just he's never shown this type of power before, like really at, at any level. Now, in 2014, we did note, and when we looked this up earlier, that he did crack 13 home runs through three levels in 2014. Uh, or excuse me, uh, it was 14 home runs throughout three levels of 2014. But you know he cracked three of them in rookie ball, six in double A, and five in triple A. So it's a little tough to really buy into a huge, huge, you know, kind of power boost. And what 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 do you, what do you think is uh, Lindor's home run rates out, or how many home runs rates do you see Lindor? Because I think Desmond could absolutely double. Lindor's home runs, and they'll both end up with, I don't know, 18, 17 to 20, 22 steals right in that mark. So I think the steals would be very similar, but I think Desmond has the significant power advantage, albeit at the cost of some OVP points. But what are your thoughts on those two there? Uh, in terms of their power? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think Desmond, um, Desmond went 20, 23 years in a row. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, just did not did not perform last year. Um, and Lindor, so I think Lindor, I think Lindor puts up 12 home runs again in a full season this year mm-hmm. instead of the half season that he does last year. And even last year when Desmond wasn't very good, uh, still went still went 19 home runs, 13 stolen bases. Mm-hmm. So he's a player that that I think is is, is a really easy call for 20 home runs. Depending on where he lands, I mean, I, I I wish that I knew where Desmond was going to play, as I'm saying this, but he's definitely a guy that that I'm I'm probably going to buy everywhere I can. Okay. Now, someone who was of particular particular Jesus Christ, oh, speaking of editing, someone who was of particular interest to myself is going to be uh, Mr. Xander Bogarts and. This spreadsheet that you created here, Mike, didn't give me a whole lot to smile about. In fact, uh, I would say I was frowning, but if there was an emoji, that would not be a happy emoji to describe my face when I saw this. So what what, what did your number crunching spit out about uh, my young man, Agent X, over here? So Xander Bogarts is very similar from a value perspective to Jose Abreu, and the fact that you're still talking about a superstar player, you're still talking about a guy that has a huge amount of value in OBP leagues. I mean, his OBP last year was 355. He's young. He's got bat speed. He's in a lineup that I think is going to be a lot better this year. Uh, he's great. But he hit 320 last year. And so when people are going to talk about his value and when you're looking at that pre-rank, you're looking at a guy who is going to be um, – He's going 62nd overall. That surprises me that low. I think that's good value for him still at 62. Uh, I would have expected he's going below Seager. That this is goofy. It's five uh, picks, but yeah. I don't get that. I don't, yeah, but I don't get that at all. Um, so I actually still like Bogarts from that perspective, but he is someone that you got to make sure that you're paying for for the good OBP instead of the elite batting average and I think that that can be really difficult to do when you start looking at like oh man I want a shortstop I want to have I want to have a good solid contributor at that position I want to be able to write in like 
good OBP. I got some good power. Um, Bogarts is that guy, but but you're it's more sort of fourth, fifth round than than third, fourth round to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And uh, similar to you know guys we've mentioned before like Bryant, but Bogarts put a 3.72 BABIP up last year and a 4.9% walk rate. Neither one of those numbers is particularly encouraging in an OBP league here. But we'll go ahead and kind of leave that discussion of the Bogarts versus Lindor to the Twitter sphere here. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on. And I'll be the guy taking me and Desmond 50 picks later. <laughs> All right. Now, you know, kind of going around the horn, so to speak, as far as infield and catcher goes. Well, catcher's technically an infield, but I guess... In my mind, I feel like he's separate from quote-unquote traditional infield players. Would you agree, or am I out on an island on that one? No, I agree. Catcher is its own. As as a former catcher myself. Oh, gee. Okay, um, here we here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Regalus of the tales of young eighteen-year-old catching prospect that, Mike Long. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was I was the bullpen catcher for Kalamazoo Central High School for two years. Mm. Um, I got about 25 at bats in two seasons, which is not very many because I wasn't very good at baseball. But hey, I'm I'm still here, still talking about it. So <laughs> those who can't do coach, those who can't coach blog, those who can't blog podcasts. So hey, there there it is, folks. You, you got us pinned right there. Uh, I mean, <laughs> your career is illustrious compared to my baseball career. I never even played t-ball or anything. I was playing soccer and wrestling with sweaty dudes and that sort of thing. So, hey, <laughs> but hey, high school, am I right? But we'll move on to the final bit here. Um, outfield in our home league now, we do have things spliced out or not spliced, I should say, as far as you know, designations for left, center, and right. But most places are just going to give you, you know the three or five outfield slots. We just kind of lumped them all together for the sake of ease, as far as that as far as that goes. But given the overall the sheer numbers of outfielders, it shouldn't come as a big shock to you folks that there's going to be some guys on both sides of this who were pleasant surprises as far as their value gained and not so pleasant losers in their value loss in this. Um, the first one is going to be a member of a team that went to the World Series this year who had, by just about every account, arguably his second best season, I would go so far to say, and that is Curtis Granderson. Um, Long, your spreadsheet. What do you got about the Grandy man? Uh, I think this one's even even simpler than the spreadsheet. Um, it's just that walk rate. I mean, Granderson has entered sort of a new phase in his career, which is he's, he's a power and walks guy now. Uh, 26 home runs with a 261 average, but a 365 OBP. And that 365 OBP uh, is still going to be be a pretty big boon for your team. And again, what I was looking for here, uh, as, as has been the theme for me throughout this entire thing, is to try and find a way to, to identify some guys who are going to help you in the steals category um, while also helping you more than their than their default yet rank would imply in the OBP category, and so gr- both Granderson and the next two that I'm going to talk about uh, fit all of those all of those qualifiers as somebody that Granderson you know is going to give you give you a dozen to 
to 18 steals or so next year, I think, um, with that great OBP. And I think that that at at his um, at his relatively modest value, he's not going to cost you a ton. He's going. Uh, he's the 42nd outfielder for NFBC right now at 170. Um, I think that's pretty good value as far as your as far as he's he's a he's a back second sort of top third outfielder for me picks up picks up a little bit of value in the OBP sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And kind of as you mentioned, yeah, he might not you know be legging out twenty three triples or even thirteen triples anymore as he gets kind of a little more advanced in age. But he's had what double digit steals again last year after a couple down seasons. But he's nabbed at least ten steals in what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of his full big league seasons. And that is, it's just something that's kind of the cherry on top to his power and of course that great walk rate which leads to the great obp yeah no doubt now another one is gonna be kind of an interesting guy because i've always liked him even you know kind of going back to colorado and there's anytime a hitter goes from colorado you know what's the course field effect what's what's his numbers gonna look like can he do it outside colorado is kind of the question and for this guy, I think the answer is absolutely a resounding yes right now. Uh, he's currently a free agent, as far as I know. But, uh, I mean, I don't have any inside info, I'll say it that way. But Dexter Fowler was a pleasant surprise. I figured that your spreadsheet would have him, you know, fairly highly rated. But I didn't think that he would be, like, a top 20 guy as far as, you know, gained relative value for going from a 5 by 5 to an OBP league. So... Was there anything that really kind of stood out to you as to why Fowler stood out so much other than just, you know, his great walk rate? Um, yeah, he, he's another guy that sort of balances that. He both has a great walk rate and and is in a unique position on the value spectrum where he hit 253 last year. So he's a bit of a negative on the batting average side, uh, but also had a 346 OBP last year. So he's a bit of a positive on the OBP side. So he goes from someone who 19 home runs, 21 steals last year. Those are going to help you. Um, who knows where he's going to hit um, in a lineup next year. But is somebody that, that with the addition of that extra category that goes from a batting average sink to an on-base percentage boon, um, that, that makes his value, I think, really outstanding in my opinion, and is is a little bit below where Granderson is in that in those NFBC values. Um, Dexter Fowler currently the 48th outfielder being taken at around pick 180, and he's right there with with former uh, Dave Weirslove, Mark Trumbo, um, <laughs> with Bruce and Grichuk and Piscotti and Josh Reddick. And Myers, who we talked about a little bit earlier, so he's sort of he's sort of down there with those guys, um, and somebody again that you know can can get you 20 steals, and and help you out a lot more in OBP than his default rank is going to imply. Mm-hmm. I would be careful and not take you know those county numbers that he posted and be like, oh yeah, he can do that again, you know, with the 
the 17 dingers and the 20 plus steals just because he did have a ton of plate appearances and i gotta emphasize that he had 690 plate appearances for the cubs last year that's more than 120 than he's ever had in any other season so i mean if he comes back down to earth as far as you know he's gonna miss some time with a thumb or a pinky or something along those lines. Because traditionally speaking, he never played more than 140 games other than one season back in 2012. He's always kind of had an ailment or two. And I would just be a little more tempered in, as far as his counting stats go. But his rate stats, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with Mike. I think he's great, especially in an OBP league, because he's got a near 100-point gap. Well, I shouldn't say gap, 100-point difference, more accurately, in his average, his OBP. And kind of as a sidebar... Does the White Sox signing him just make far too much sense, or is that just me? Like, 3-40 and 40 or something would get it done, right? Like, don't the yeah, I think Like, that just, that just is so easy. I can't believe they haven't done it yet. They've needed an outfielder this entire time, and they have refused to do it for reasons I don't get. Yeah. I can't believe they didn't pony up for Yo. I, I thought Gordon was going there, because that was kind of the rumor, so to speak. And then, obviously, you know, Alex Gordon went back to the Royals, and congratulations that's great i'm kind of happy that he stays there because you know being an ace fan our players don't stay there ever but that's neither here nor there but i i just can't imagine why fowler was waiting so long unless he expected like suspedes and upton to set the outfield market but he's not in the real world he's nowhere near those guys so i i i just don't understand that but as far as our league setting go and OBP leagues, yeah, Fowler is 100% a standout guy. And he's still fairly young. He's going to be entering his age 30 season. So there's yeah. nothing nothing really that you know indicates red flags other than a ton of playing time. Now, someone who is getting a little bit, I wouldn't say long in the tooth yet, but he's not a spring chicken anymore. And that's going to be over to the Yankee side of things. And it's going to be Brett Gardner. Uh, another guy who kind of, as Mike alluded to earlier, is got plenty of speed, at least, you know, has in the past. And as it turns out, surprise, surprise, he rated pretty highly on the OBP over here on his spreadsheet. So what do you have to say over about uh, Brett Gardner here, Long? So I'm expecting Brett Gardner to take a big step forward this year because he no longer has to do double duty as um, playing the role of Nick Stokes on CSI. So I think that's going to help him quite a bit. <laughs> that, that, all right, you know, that's a rope, that, or that's a wrap. We have peaked as a podcast, folks. You can tune in never. It's done. We're, we're all set here. <laughs> <sighs> I want to say I hate you, but that would be a lie. So let's just get back to baseball. But <laughs> Gardner. <laughs> Gardner, Gardner, I feel like, uh, is very similar to Fowler uh, in terms of the numbers that they put up and kind of how they get there. He's another guy that I think is a is a bit of a uh, a bit of a liability on batting average, not a big one, but a little bit. But has historically posted pretty good walk rates, has a slightly above average OBP, and is also probably going to steal you twenty bases. And so again, like my my thing here is let's find let's find some steals that are not going to cost you more than they need to from an on base percentage standpoint. Because that was the theme that I thought I saw from when I evaluated la- what happened last year, and uh, Brett Gardner, Dexter Fowler, those are the kinds of players 
that you can build a real solid base of steals and then just decide to pay for one big steals guy to hell with OBP and have a really good, strong foundation to build from. And those are the kinds of outfielders that I tend to like anyway. Um, are, are your more kind of well-rounded, your well-rounded type of player. And so you yeah, prefer a complete I think... player to an incomplete player. Wow, stop the presses. <laughs> I, I understand your overarching point, though. I just if if you're gonna make a CSI joke, then I I have to come after you some, at some <laughs> point. It, it, I I have to. I can't not. I think it's in our contract, really. But again, yeah, I, like I said, I absolutely agree with your overarching point. I think Gardner is he's just a fun guy, like. I wasn't sure about his 2014 power surge when he, you know, he more than doubled his single season high, but he basically did it again this past year. He went down from 17 home runs to 16, so that's hardly really an outlier. So I'm beginning to buy in and be like, yeah, maybe he goes 15 and 15 this year, 15 and 20, or playing in that pretty favorable park, maybe he finally goes 2020 in his age 32 season. I, it's possible. Yeah. I wouldn't bet on that, but I would bet on fifteen fifteen with a three forty to three fifty OBP. That's that's a great player, like you said. It's he he just contributes all over the lineup or all over your lineup at that point, and no complaints about that. Yep. Now we're gonna go ahead and uh, switch gears. I wouldn't say completely because this guy's still a veteran. He's been around the block a few times. He definitely can nab you some steals, but. It does come at a cost, and the cost is definitely in the form of lost relative value, again, going from 5.55 to OBP. It's going to be Ben Revere. Uh, I was, again, surprised at that. I know Ben Revere isn't obviously you know, a power candidate, but no one ever really drafts him going into with such illusions. But I was like, you know what? He always has like a pretty solid OBP, maybe not great, but it's, he hits at the top. He scores a ton of runs. He's going to be good for 30 to 40 steals. But wow, your spreadsheet made me look uh, a little silly as far as my preconceived notion goes there. So what did you have for us on that one, Mike? Yeah, Revere is just the Revere is the type of player that you get deep in a draft and you you've been neglecting stolen bases a little bit and you're like, all right, I got I just gotta do this. I gotta make a splash. Um I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Ben Revere. Uh, he's probably gonna play quite a bit in Washington this year. Um, I think he's going to be the regular center fielder, not Michael Taylor. So there's probably 40 steals in there, but um, his ranking is purely derived from the fact that he hits 300 because he's a slap hitter, but doesn't walk a whole lot. So the OBP is, is in the, in the three thirties somewhere. Um, but that turns him from a two-category guy in batting average leagues where you've got batting average and steals into a one-category guy. And I'm picking on him a little bit, but the bottom of this spreadsheet, as far as the outfitters go, is littered with with other Ben Revere's. So two people right above him, Ender Enciarte, uh, a couple spots above Billy Burns. Right above them is a superstar with the same profile, A.J. Pollock. Uh who we'll talk a little bit more about in the middle. Oduwa Herrera is down there. Starling Marte is down there. Um, Lorenzo Cain. So you, you can you sort of get a sense of, of what type of player I'm talking about here. And probably the best 
archetype that I can think of to describe who it is this this real batting average boon that then will will not do you any service in an OBP league is Ben Revere. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of, you just did mention both of these guys actually, but one that I was certainly surprised to see your spreadsheet not like, especially given his big big breakout this year was Pollock. I I was a lot higher on him into this league settings, you know, 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago, before I saw this sheet, just because, you know what, he had a great OBP, not just in 2015, but a very similar one in 2014. His career OBP, this is AJ Pollock, of course, is 347. That's not bad. That's better than not bad. That's outstanding. And he broke out this year in a big way with 20 bombs. He had 39 steals. He scored 111 runs. He drove in 76. Like, he was a five-stat category guy by any measurable account there. But kind of circles back to the relative and perceived value. And I was just very surprised to see, you know, Pollock not be not just not high, but kind of relatively poorly rated by your spreadsheet there, Mike. Yeah. And, and again, it's not so much that he's poorly rated. It's the fact that in an average league, Pollock is Pollock was, I think he finishes the number one overall player last year, maybe in, in like an ESPN player rater or something, or maybe, I don't know, two or three behind Harper or Goldschmidt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one of your top two or three hitters, but a part of that is because A.J. Pollock hit 314 last year. And that, with his with his plate appearances number, is a, is a huge boon. But the 365 OVP, while it's valuable... And while that's still going to make you some money in a fantasy league, mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not a first-round profile to me, um, or a second-round profile even. It is, it's sort of that back second, but I don't think that's going to net you A.J. Pollock this year. No, if you're waiting on Pollock, you know, with after, you know, the first turn, he's probably going to be gone. Um, yeah. Honestly, actually, yeah, that's exactly it. NFBC, which is a 15-team setting, is Pollock going 15 on average. Uh, the earliest pick was 6. Somebody broke their arm reaching him for there. But I, I was just very shocked to see Pollock. Again, this is relative compared to what he does in an OBP league to you know the traditional 5x5 setting. Um, another one, and kind of someone that kind of hurts to see because I own him in two other leagues that are keeper leagues is Starling Marte. And again, this is kind of the second time that we've brought him up just or a little bit earlier, but Marte is another guy that I was like, man, I was hoping for a little bit more of a, I don't want to say rosy, but something a little more kind difference, but it just didn't pan out that way. But Hey, they don't play the games and spreadsheets. I think they say, they said something like that. But again, uh, Marte, very similar profile to Pollock in that he kind of broke out a little bit this year. Uh, 19 home runs, single season high. 30 steals again for the second consecutive year. 287 batting average. Like, he again, he just about did it all. More than 80 runs and 80 RBIs. He just posted highs just about across the board. He even trimmed his strikeout rate 4.5%, down to 194 But still, 
the lack of a walk rate really, really hurt him. His 4.3% walk rate just kind of was devastating, really. Uh, do you have any additional thoughts as far as uh, young Starling Marte goes? No, I think you covered that pretty well. It really is. It's it's the fact that um, this, is an, this is an overarching principle for playing in fantasy leagues that do not follow standard 5x5 convention is that you will see either player ranks or dollar values tied to players. And this is a behavioral economics theory called anchoring. If you've read um, kind of any number of books, they've talked about it. Um, Thinking Fast and Slow was a big one that, that talked about it, that even subtle numbers can drive people to not stray nearly as far as they as they would from uh, from trying to predict a value, and that's going to happen in your draft. If Yahoo says Starling Marte is the 30th overall player, he's not going to drop much past 35. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is not that Starling Marte is a bad player or that Starling Marte doesn't have value. I'm just saying that Starling Marte is probably the 45th player or so or the 50th player. And because of that, if you if you try and get him where he's going to go, I don't think you're going to return a good profit. And that exists on the other side too. And it's something that I've exploited for years is that generally my rule is that um, if, I, if I pop a guy 20 picks before his Yahoo default, we play on Yahoo, 20 picks before his Yahoo default rank, I'm going to get him. Um, and if I really want someone, I can go to 30, and I'm still comfortable with those numbers because I know that even if even if Weirs thinks that Mark Trumbo in 2014 is a is the 20th overall player, but Yahoo's got him ranked at 80, that nobody's going to take him until 50, mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about that. And that I think is is really what I want you to take away from this is that. Um, we've got some good players that we've been talking about, not in the greatest light here. And that's not to say that, that Jose Abreu and AJ Pollock and Sterling Marte and Xander Bogarts aren't going to help your fantasy team. The point is, is that unless they fall 15 picks, they're not going to help your fantasy team because the opportunity cost of not of taking Nolan Arenado over Chris Bryant in an OVP league is going to hurt. Yeah, Absolutely. And this is some uh, nice insight to someone. How many times Kyle and I were trying to figure out how many times have you won the league? How many times is Kyle and how many Nachi? Is it two, two, three, and Nachi just won it once? Is that kind of the breakdown and the split? Yeah. So I've 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 won twice, but I've been I've been a bridesmaid. I think I've finished second five times, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so. then has Kyle or Yagi won it three times? That's what we weren't sure of. Yagi's won it three times. Yagi's won it three times. Okay, gotcha. And I've won it uh, in my heart every year, but we can move on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Really, there's only kind of one more player that I would like to kind of touch on in the outfield, and that's going to be someone who was actually traded in the offseason. It's going to be Domingo Santana. Um, I was somewhat high on him, kind of, you know, just overall. It's kind of like I wouldn't call him a sleeper, so to speak. But his current average draft position is outside the top 300, again, according to NFBC. 
but I was more than a little bit encouraged when I was kind of perusing your spreadsheet here that Santana did have a nice little kind of boost. And again, all thanks to that double-digit walk rate. And I can't be alone in liking Santana's profile, right? Like, I'm sure you know, of it, you know, the double-digit walk rate, 25-ish home run upside, probably more like 20. But he's going to hit like 250, maybe even a little bit less. Is Santana that was kind of someone on your radar, or was a strikeout rate almost prohibitive to you, really? Not a bit. Is he going to play this year? What's his path to at bats? Like, he, who's who's really going to block him? Like that, I mean, Chris Davis is in the outfield there, and kind of who else? Uh, I I can't imagine Domingo Santana doesn't get 500 plate appearances this year. Okay. They have they have no reason. Like his service clock has already started because he got called up for 18 plate appearances in 2014, and he had uh what yeah 187 between the Astros and the Brewers last year. So I I don't see a way that he doesn't break camp with them and at least get 500 plate appearances. They might limit him, you know. Every once in a while, when they're facing you know a really tough pitcher, but for someone who has power and someone who's going to draw some walks, I really like Santana in OBP leagues. But is that kind of what you're worried about? Is it playing time concerns? Uh, yeah. Okay, but in a yeah, vacuum, then in... we're kind of in agreement that yeah, Santana has the potential again, and he's just 23 to be uh, something pretty special. Yeah, these are incredibly encouraging walk rates mm-hmm. all across the board here. So I'm I'm 100% with you. The strikeout rate gave me a little bit of pause, right. but um, you're not going to get a guy outside of the top 300, like you said, without without any warts. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I think you made a pretty good argument for the playing time. And yeah, there's there's not a ton of people that are going to stop him. So yeah, uh, I can't imagine. And it, you know, apologies to the one Brewers fan of. You know, nine people who listen to this, but uh, not knocking your team. I'm an A's fan, and Mike here is an a Braves fan, so we're all fighting for that number one overall pick in 2017, basically. But I just don't see a whole lot of competition for Santana up in Milwaukee. But maybe I'll take the train up there and see him there in his, on his home field. Yet to be seen. But, uh, Mike, any additional thoughts or players that you're kind of waiting to get off your chest that I had to just, I had to mention, you know, Santana or anyone like that? Uh, you know, I, uh, I I had a pretty comprehensive list. We talked about players all up and down. Um, I will just sort of run them back just to try and maybe jog your memory at the end here a little bit. But for catchers, we talked about Yasmani Grandal, Salvador Perez, and Yadier Molina. At first base, we talked about Chris Carter and Jose Abreu. Uh, second base, we talked about Jace Peterson. And I don't think we got into it, but um, the... The real negatives there were the were the top guys were Jose Altuve and D Gordon, and it's the reason that that I think that their value dropped them back into sort of the second or third round that I was really focusing at specifically shortstop and outfield um, on some some guys that I thought could offer some OVP value as well as some stolen base value to help lessen that pressure of like oh man I gotta get us I gotta get my steal someplace I'm gonna pop. Um, Jose Altuve at the at the turn in the first um, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Third base, we talked about Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado, Adrian Beltre. Shortstop was Addison Russell and Ian Desmond, Xander Bogarts and Francisco Lindor. And then in the outfield, we had Granderson, Dexter Fowler, Brett Gardner, uh, Ben Revere, AJ Pollock, Starling Marte, and Domingo Santana. So I, th- I think we got a lot done. Yeah. Very, very 
very solid, solid uh, follow-up episode here. No sophomore slump for us, right, Mike? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, starting at the bottom, we're still here, so there's no real slump there, but, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> this is David Weir's signing off, uh, speaking on behalf of Mike Long as well. Thanks for tuning in, folks.